So hey guys, thanks Anchor. Uh, I always thank them a lot. They're the ones that uh, that uh, distribute my podcast and get it out to everybody. So huge thanks to Anchor. And of course, thanks to SolderWeld. You can check them out at www.solderweld.com. And they're the makers of 15% Round Rod and Hot Block. And they make Alcop. And they're just great guys. I mean, Lance and Zeke over there at SolderWeld, they're great people. They put out tons of great product and they're really super supportive of the HVAC refrigeration plumbing and off-road communities so check them out at www.solderwell.com so today's podcast is with Mike Flynn uh, on Instagram his page is Flynnstone1 and Mike and I have been going back and forth we watch each other we look at each other's content and we comment here and there and, and and he's on the east coast i'm out here in arizona and so there's a little bit of a time difference but we do chat but we really got a chance to meet each other at ahr expo in orlando uh at 2020 and we that's where we really i think we really connected because we were able to really see each other stand in front of each other uh have some really good chats and i was like man I got to get this guy on my podcast, and and here he is. He's he's here with us. Hey, Mike. Hey, what's going on, Mike? So you, you we're going to talk a lot about you, not me. We're going to talk a lot about yep. you, and we're going to talk about your time in the trade. And you're a you're a dual tradesman, which here in Arizona or, or in California you don't see plumbers and air conditioning techs together. I mean, there is some on the residential side, but you're really on the East Coast. That's pretty common, I, I believe, correct? Yeah, I mean, it's better to actually see everything, and if you're, you know, a well-rounded tech, then, you know, you just get more opportunities um, with any company. But is plumbing on the East Coast, I, I would assume heating is more important than air conditioning because your heating season is longer. Or is plum because or is plumbing your most profitable? Um, I would say the company I work at, um, the plumbing department does a lot of revenue. Um, our install department is right up there too. Um, so really, it's a good balance. I mean, when AC season comes along, people do not wait at all. Like you, they'll wait maybe a few hours without AC before they call you. Um, heating, they'll, they'll actually wait a little bit longer. I mean, when I'm back when I was doing service, there was, there were people that, you know, have been out for like a week or two weeks and you're just going there to diagnose it now. So it's really crazy. <laughs> so let's go talk a little bit about you. I mean, that's the most important. I want everybody to know about you. How long have you been in the trade, and and how did you start in the trade? Were you, were you like for me? I was just a lost guy, and air conditioning was my way to graduate. I didn't have anybody in the trade that I knew. Did were you? Uh, are you a second or third generation, or how did you get in the trade? Well, I am a first generation. Um, both my parents are actually teachers, um, so they were always pushing me to go to school, go to school, go to college which I did, so graduated um, high school and went right to college. I uh, graduated four years. I have a uh, Bachelor of Arts in Criminal Justice. So back when I graduated, it was 2008. Um, 
there was really no jobs in the field, so there was a, a hiring shortage. Um, you know, I applied to the state police here in New Jersey and, you know, passed all my tests, and they're like, okay, well, you're just going to be on the waiting list. So I was like, damn, man, I can't wait till, you know, I get a job. I need to find something. So, you know, I lifeguarded at a pool um, and for many, many years. Um, there was actually a, uh, a family there that owned their own um, plumbing, heating, air conditioning um, company. So they were like, listen, you know, we know that you're looking for a job. We know you just graduated. Um, but uh, we actually need a helper and a driver because one of our guys, um, you know, got in some licensing stuff uh, with his driver's license. So they were like, listen, you can come on. You can go to any of the interviews that you need to. You can take the time off that you need. Um, we just need you, you know, when we need you. And there's, there's always steady work. So I was like, okay, why not, you know? Um, and that's pretty much where it all started. Uh, he, that guy who was, I was driving around, he had stayed at the company probably maybe a year and a half, um, and then left. So the, my boss was like, first boss was like, listen, you know, you need to go out on your own. I was like, you gotta be joking. Like, I have no technical experience out from this year and a half, I was like, how am I ever going to make it in my own truck? He's like, listen, you can, you can call me anytime you want, anytime you run into anything. I know, you know, I've seen your skill. You've progressed very well. So anytime you need to call me, just call me. I need a bottle, cereal, um, tell me what you're looking at it, and I can diagnose it over the phone. And I tell you, this guy was one of the smartest guys, and I, I have to give it to him, and I could just describe what I'm looking at, and he would know exactly what to do, and he was like, go get this from the truck, install it, and then it should work, and I'm like, sure enough, got it in, and everything worked, so that's really how, and as you, you know, go in and fix things on your own, um, you get more confidence to do it by yourself and you don't need to make those calls. Um, so that's just really how it started and then doing service for that five year period um, you know, I moved to another company um, which was closer to home and um, that the other boss, he actually taught me more about business. So um, basically how to run your service calls um, the manner you speak to customers, um, just all about the business side of things. So I really, you know, had the service technical side. I just needed the more people skills. So he was great with that. Um, after that, I, uh, there was a salesman there that, uh, we were both, we were really good friends with. And he was like, listen, I'm moving to another company and they needed dollars. So I'm moving, you know, you take your time, whatever you guys want to do. But the invitation's always there, and you can do whatever you want with it. So I was like, okay, well, I'll sit here for a little bit just because I feel like I owe it to them. And um, then I went, I was like, okay, you know, it's time for me to really go out and branch out. You know, I, I know I did it backwards. I know you're supposed to do install first and then 
go to service. But, you know, when that opportunity arose, I had to take it. So it was really me and um, a helper, and we, I was running jobs. And listen, they, the, the saying that a service tech doesn't make a good install is an understatement because, you know, I have pictures all on my Instagram of the sunny installs I do. And <laughs> when going back to my first years as an installer, I, I literally cringe because it's like, damn, you know, that's what, that's well, also I cringe and I actually look back and be like, damn, that's where I came from and this is where I ended up. So it's uh, a cringeworthy moment plus a proud moment to see how I progress, um, really honing in uh, the, the skills in trade and in, in software stuff. Yeah, but you said something, which I, I know people say, but it actually is a couple of things. One, I don't think there's any wrong way to go into the trade. So when you said, well, everybody says you're supposed to do install first and service. I mean, honestly... There, as long as you're moving through a progression and you're making money and you're learning, there there really isn't a wrong way, at least I think so. You know, whether you do yeah. service first or install and then service, it, it's just how the opportunity comes down and you took you took advantage of the opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. When, I think so. I mean, sorry. No, go ahead. Uh, and it's, you know, I do think that probably... You should get a little a bit of experience in install, and then uh, just because, you know, your lead guy will tell you how to put everything together, what's going on in the system, and then you can go and do service and move back and forth, whatever you want to do. Um, but it's, like you said, it's all up to, you know, how your mind works and how everything is, what opportunities you have in saying, okay, well, you know, I can service this piece of equipment and now let's, you know, break it down and put it back together. So there, yeah, it's, it's all either way. You know, you come up and you learn every day and, you know, that's just all, what it's all about. Well, I've said this before about the trade that I think the best service techs are the ones that install and the best installers the ones are the ones that can service. Because... Yeah. When you understand how a system is installed from a service side, or if you understand how to service a piece of equipment and install it, it allows you to look at it and go, I get why the project team put the unit in this place, or I understand piping, or I understand you know, the flow of water or the flow of air when I've got a service problem. So I, I, I think it's perfect, everything that you've done, what you're describing. Can can I ask yeah. about your mom and dad? So sure. your mom and dad were were teachers. When you decided after you got your four de- four year degree, criminology. After you got your degree and you said, "Mom and dad, I I've got to get a job." Were they really supportive, or were they like, "Uh oh, like Mike's not going to use that four year degree. He's going to be blue collar." I I don't ever think my parents have said anything negative about my career path. And, they, you know, they might have said, okay, well, you know, keep going to your interviews, keep going to your interviews. And I think that's 
you know, because I would, I was a young kid, I would come home and be like, just, you know, talk, tell them about my day and what was going on. And they probably could see that I really had a love and passion for it. So they were like, well, we're probably, I, you know, we sent him to college, but we're probably not going to say anything because, you know, he really does love it. And, you know, we're just glad he's working and has a job and, you know, super fortunate about that. So I, they've never said anything bad about it or actually, you know, told me, oh, well, you need to pursue this um, over the trade. But, you know, they've always been super supportive of me and the, the actual decisions that I've made, so... Do you look back with your with your degree and say, wow, some of it helped me as I moved forward? Or was it, is there any part of your degree that has not applied at all towards what you're doing now? Um, I guess a further uh, education has helped me, um, I guess, maybe understand things better um, as far as, you know, you know, as I always say, read the manual. Um, as far as reading that and kind of looking into um, a deeper critical thinking of, okay, well, someone wrote this manual and for a reason. So that's why you have to follow it for that reason. So I think college has helped me in some ways on being a better critical thinker. And the reason I ask that is because you're, you are a little different in the fact that a lot of people like me have, who don't like college have no degree and go into blue collar. And at the same time, the, the, the big difference is, is we tend to, when we're talking about trades, like, oh, go to the trade school and you won't have a, you won't have debt. Who needs a four year degree? You know, right now, this is the time to become blue collar. Don't go to college, you know, and rack up tons of debt. Well, you went to college and you're a tradesman and you're benefiting from college. Like, like there's, you know, there are reasons to have a college degree. Absolutely. So, yes, it's. Do you watch Law and Order now and 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 uh, police shows and and analyze them and break them down? The funny thing about that is Uh-oh. that he I actually grew up. <laughs> I grew up um, watching Law and Order and all that with my father, and that's what pretty much made me choose um, my major in college. And my ultimate goal was to become a lawyer a criminal lawyer or whatever, you know, whatever, a lawyer. Um, but when I got to college, you know, I, and they were like, well, you need to go to, you know, two or four more years of this. I was like, there is no way I'm going to any more school. So I'm just going to hop on this uh, criminal justice and, you know, choose a different path, whether it be, you know, um, border patrol, uh, state police, whatever, you know, any law enforcement. Um, over more schooling, so but Law and Order was a uh, a key show in my in my childhood, definitely. <laughs> so now here we are. You're you're a tradesman. You're cruising down the path. I'm always blown away when I talk to people on the East Coast, Canada, East Coast, down through some of the Southern states. It kind of stops around the Virginias, the Carolinas. 
Talk about the amount of training, because I think you've got all your certifications, correct? Well, it's uh, in New Jersey, you don't have to, you can work under all the boss's licenses. So he holds the plumbing license, there's a couple others in the company that hold plumbing licenses, um, HVAC, and uh, we actually acquired a electrical company as well, and that is a, a separate, you know, person that holds that life. So I actually went to trade school for like maybe two years. I, it was probably a total of like eight classes. And I was work. this was like when I first started in the trade, I was like, okay, well, you know, I'm getting serious about this. Why don't I go to trade school? So I did that and I probably took a total of eight classes altogether. Um, probably missed maybe um, 25% of them because I was working and like it, I think the classes started I would say maybe five or six o'clock at night and you know there were times where I was like listen I'm working I can't leave this job that I'm on and I have to get these people either eating or cooling and go to class and you know I was just like listen I made the conscious decision to just drop out of school while well, the uh, you know, the next semester I'd come up and I didn't re-register. That's all it was. And I was like, well, you know, and I talked to my boss about it. I was like, listen, you know, what do you think I should before I didn't sign up? I talked to the first boss and he was like, listen, you know, you really don't need the, you know, a, a HVAC license, a plumbing license. Um, all, all you need is your experience in the field and I feel like that you would learn more in the field over going to trade school and it was just, I was like okay well what do I actually need those for he's like all you need those licenses for in New Jersey is to start your own business so I was like you know I really and at that time I was like listen I'm not going to start my own business like I like working and then going home and not having to answer the phone because I, you know, I worked with two smaller shops before I went to a bigger shop. So I saw all the, you know, the on calls, the how many, you know, calls he would take, how he sleep with nights. And he was like, listen, if you, the, if the phone rings, you have to pick it up. So I was like, man, I don't want to do that. So that's, my, I did my two years in trade school, and I was like, listen, I'm done with this. I'm just going to focus on what materials I have available to me, online print, um, all the education that I can get and bring in, and um, actually work my way up to the field. Well, so it looks like, I mean, it's it sounds perfect. Because I know that I talk to people in Canada, and I talk to people like in New York and and. Uh, Nova Scotia and places like, especially Canada. I mean, it's crazy yeah. the amount of education that's required. So many hours of working time and whatnot to get the certifications. I mean, I know you've spoken to uh, Gary uh, McCready, HVAC Know It All. Super yeah. great guy. So sharp and smart, and just the amount of education and training they need just to get out and do with what he does. Oh, yeah. And the hours that, he, you know, I talked to, you know, a lot of, a lot of um, Canadians on Instagram and just the, you know, 
whatever you want to do, you there's a class for it, and there you have to put in multiple, multiple hours and you know years of training on just that. And it's and it's really specialized as well, you know, because you can be a boiler tech and a gas tech, and then that but that doesn't cover you for refrigeration or AC. So you know, there's like, and it's super stringent as as I've heard as well. So. Hmm. So, when you're moving yourself along through the trade, somewhere along the line, sorry about that, I'm, I'm getting an incoming call. Um, somewhere along the line, you also became, you went from plumbing over to heating and air conditioning. Was that a difficult decision or was it based upon the need of the company you were working for? Or did you always want to be just a plumber? Or have you always... It's like multiple questions. I'm throwing like a a million things at you. Or did you really want to be a dual trade? Honestly, when um, the second company I worked for, um, and when I went in, he was like, well, you know, what can you do? I was like, well, I do, you know... Plumbing service, I do HVAC service. Um, he's like, have you ever snaked a drain? I was like, no. He was like, well, you're going to try it today. I'm like, okay. So, you know, the first, I think it was probably one of the first seats I was there. Um, there was a, uh, a main line stoppage and he was like, okay, bring the electric deal. Now this is like, uh, you know, a right angle drill basically with two handles on it and you got to connect each piece to it. So he's like, okay, use this, you know, pull the toilet, take the drain and be out of there. And I tried for hours and hours to take this drain through that toilet and I could not get it. And I had to call for help. And it was, I was like, listen, do not put me on drain cleaning ever again. And there were a few times where he did it again. And I was like, dude, I can't get it. Like, it's one thing that I would, I would, don't even want to try. I mean, maybe with the new technology now, with the flush app and all that kind of stuff. But, there, you know, drain cleaning is a no. Um, you know, laying under a vanity sink to connect a faucet or, uh, you know, the drain line and all that stuff. You know, it, you know, and I tell it to actually, if we were working with the plumbers now on the, the, the company I work with, I'm like, listen, this is one of the reasons why I stopped doing plumbing service, just laying under a vanity sink, just, you know, with the outside of the cabinet digging into your bag. I'm like, nope, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do it. <laughs> um, you know, services, I, I do some service work now. They're, they send me on, um, like, the hard-to-figure-out problems, um, the the times where a couple techs have been there or a couple of companies have been there. Those, those are the kind of service calls that I do, um, some warranty stuff, um, but it's not, like, serious, down, and dirty service. It's, you know, all, like, the hard-to-figure-out stuff. So I really never, if I had a choice now, I would probably do HVAC service. Um, you know, years of install really kill my body. My knees are shot. My back is shot. Um, uh, you know, losing 
70 pounds has helped, but the years of abuse over that have really uh, taken a toll. So, you know, I push on and I do my duty and I, you know, have, I do the installs that I do and, you know, but if I had a choice now, I would do HVAC service over plumbing service for sure. When, um, when you do your service work, obviously tools are important. Let's talk about some of the tools that you own. Which ones you prefer, your favorites, and maybe without naming names, the ones you don't like, or do you like all tools? Uh, I mean, it's or are you a tool? Mainly... Let me ask you: Are you a tool guy? I am a tool guy. I you know I have a, a husky um, like mechanics bench or like roll out um, drawer set in my actual work truck. I have a box truck, so there's actually room to fit that. And yeah, that's it's all filled with power tools and you know, obviously I don't need all those tools, but a specialty tool for something like cutting threaded rod or um, you know, any any specialty tool really makes it go you know, the job goes smoother. You're not you know, fumbling over a sawzall to cut, you know, um, you know, threaded rod or unistrut. So the specialty tools are nice. Um, what I mainly use is, you know, I bring in uh, my backpack, uh, via backpack. I, I'm, I, you know, I posted up a uh, a time lapse and a photo of me unpacking and repacking, and just cleaning it out. Um, a lot of hand tools. Um, pliers, you know, all the big wrenches, uh, for the steam boilers I do turn in, you know, two inch steel and cast iron fittings. Um, you know, it's just simple power tools, you know, saws all, uh, impacts, hammer drill. Those are the things that mainly come in. Uh, M12 copper cutter, PVC shears, you know, all the, the stuff that I use on a regular basis, all the specialty tools like get you know, popped out when I want to take a video or something like that. So, <laughs> but is there a is if is there a tool that you have purchased? And I got asked this question one time, where as a journeyman, I see an apprentice buying, and I'm like, man, dude, you didn't need that tool. Like that should have waited. If you were to make, if if you had a, an apprentice come to you and say, "Hey, I want to buy this," is there something you would tell them like, "Don't buy that tool. You don't need it now." Pro press. Pro press. Hundred percent. Yep. Are you pro Are you pro pressing now? A lot of things. Okay. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, you know, but there's a there's a time and a place for pro press. Um, if you're in a wide open space, a wide open basement, and you're doing a small, simple repair, you gotta sweat it. Um, there's, there's a time and place because number one, the tool is expensive. Number two, the fittings are like double the price of sweat, of sweat fittings. And, you, you know, I think that everyone should learn how to sweat a pipe together. You know, I, it's, it does take the proper amount of skill to use the pro press because there is skill, uh, prepping the pipe, uh, prepping the fitting and making sure that it's in 
properly to make that feel. But I think that, you know, everyone should learn how to sweat a fight and then you can move to the pro press. Awesome. That's because a lot of guys, when they come in the field as apprentices, they want to buy tools. They don't really know what to buy. And then they go to the parts house and they see all this stuff. Like I tell apprentices, don't buy digitals. Digitals, Like whatever you do, do not buy digital gauges, refrigeration gauges. Buy compounds and get used to them because you're going to break it. And then before you know it, you know, a $400 set of digitals is wasted in the first week. That's a perfect example as well. I would say that as well. <clears throat> Just because that, you know, it's not because I came up in the trade using analog and I had to figure out uh, superheat and subcooling like that. It's just because, you know, the, just the price tag attached to that, those digital gauges versus, you know, your, uh, your temp probe on your, you know, your field piece meter and a set of analog gauges work exactly the same. So they're nice. Digital gauges are very nice and they're super great for, uh, leak detection because that, if you're, if you're using a set of, especially with finished lift, because you should be pressurizing over 500, and if you see, if you're over 500 and you, it comes down maybe not even the, the, the pit, the, the, uh, thickness of the pin, and you have a leak, that, those digital gauges will actually show you. So they, you know, they both have their, uh, ups and downs, but I think that, um, a digital manifold is, Definitely later in my career, in the career, as what I did. Um, so learn on the analog, do what you have to do to do that, and then get yourself a set of So let's kind of move a little bit towards some business. Business huh? and recruiting and blue collar. You, you realized that you weren't going to get a job in the criminal justice system. And you went out and found a job, and it was that easy. Yeah. Do you have advice? Let's say there's a, a young person in high school that could be listening, or a mom and dad that's listening, and they're listening, and they're like, yeah, my, my, my kid's in, in Jersey schools too. What would be the best way to get into the trade? I think uh, there is a couple trade schools in the area that really do a great job. Um, and, you know, you can do what I did. Maybe take a few classes and see what you like or you dislike about it. Uh, getting into the trade is it's hard because, you know, most of the companies want experience. And there are a few companies and mine included, that they will take you on if, even if you're fresh out of grade school and train you. So it's, you know, you got to ask around, you got to apply to those jobs and just apply everywhere. Don't say, okay, well, my friend works here, so I'm going to apply here. Just apply everywhere. Really, it doesn't, it doesn't hurt to do that. And even if you, and you do find that company and they're willing to train you, I mean, that's amazing. You can also go the trade school route and, you know, see what you like about it. If you want to take these classes, um, you know, there are, are definitely avenues to get into the trade. And it doesn't necessarily require experience. 
does it does it matter as far as like on the trade school route? Because you you definitely went a different way. I mean, you took a couple of classes with a degree. You went into the trade. You succeeded. Do you think that we're it's too hard for young people to get in the trade, or do you have people that come up to you and go, "Wow, dude, it's really hard." Like, you know, I've graduated and I still can't get a job. Do a lot of those people wash out, or you know, what what's going on with that? As far as going to college or going no, to like, trade school, like for example, I had a guy on the East Coast lived in New York. I got a guy. I got a guy. And lived on I the East that. Coast. I got a guy. And he lived on the East Coast. He lived in New York. And he struggled. He actually was in Philly. Lived in, uh, uh, I think he did some work in New Jersey. Lived in Philly. And struggled getting into the trade because companies would hire an apprentice for the summer and then let him go in the winter. And then hire him in the summer. And, and they did it. And he's like, well, this is crazy. Do you think... Is it that way on where you're at? Because I think it's that way across the country. So we we talk about, everybody talks about how great blue collar is, but nobody talks about the negatives of blue collar, which is you could get laid off a lot, when you, especially as an apprentice. Yeah, I've heard you know some other companies doing that where the influx of work comes in and they need people, and then the, those slow times, where it's spring or fall, they'll let you go, and then, you know, you need to find a job again when, you know, when heating season starts. Um, there are, you know, definitely those companies out there. I work for a company that I'm um, employed year-round, and the whole company is employed year-round. So whether it's, you know, because we do, we're multi-faceted company where we do plumbing, heating, air conditioning, electric, um, sewers, we do wells, there's always work. So, and if we are slow in one time, they'll actually, you know, pick uh, people from different departments and then heating them up with a different department. Just in, either it's just to give a hand or to, you know, watch and learn um, and give a hand. But we're, you know, everybody in the company is employed year-round. And I know for a fact there's a couple other um, companies that actually do that. Um, you know, I've heard those stories as well, as where they're like, oh, well, you know, I'm looking for a job. It's the off-season, and they lay us off, or we're home for two weeks. I'm like, dude, you need to go find another company. Because if you know that, you know, you actually have some skill and you've already been, in, in the trade and working, that someone else is going to hire you. There's enough work, in, especially in New Jersey, to go around. There's a lot of companies here, a lot, a lot of companies. And I'm sure that's everywhere. But there's a lot of companies, and there is a ton of work for everybody to have their hand in it. And there's, there's really no competition because, you know, we... Okay, so you go out to a sales call and you quote-unquote, steal the job from another company. Okay, so, you, book, you know, that other company moves on and they get another one. So there's all, there's so much work, there's so many homes, there's so many people, and there's all the work to go around that there really is no competition. You know, we're out, and I say this all the time, like, it changes about bettering yourself, not comparing 
yourself to someone else. So work on yourself, and there is no competition. That's all it is. You know, you become and you rise up, and you have the knowledge above, and then that work comes to you. So there's enough work for everybody. Um, and I, I tell other people that say, oh, well, you know, this company is not treating me well or in the same token. I'm like, dude, you have to go find another company. You have to go apply, you know, whether it's going into the union or staying non-union and going to another shop. There's jobs everywhere. There really is. Well, I think you said something about, you know, working on yourself. Because one of the things I talk about when I go to trade schools is I tell people, like, you know, if you've got driving record problems, go fix them now. Don't wait until you've graduated school and then you're trying to find a job and then you've got a failure to appear or you've got a warrant and then all of a sudden you're like, oh, I can't get a job. And they end up blaming the companies. They're like, oh, you know what, uh, you know, plumbing sucks, air conditioning sucks, I can't get a job. And when it really, what you said is true about fixing yourself, you didn't fix yourself. Like, you're not ready for an interview, and you're not ready to work in the trade because you've got some some background problems. Absolutely. And there's there's been plenty of people that are, you know, say, okay, well, Mike, you know, I know you, I've been in the trade, can I get a job? I was like, yeah, you can go apply and see what's up. You know, you have to have a clean driving record. Oh, well, you know, I didn't know I had these six points on my license. I was like, okay, so there's a, a class, New Jersey, that you can take, and that'll eradicate two points on your license. But, you know, what are you going to do? Are you going to go take that class or are you going to wait on it? Me, I would go take that class right away. I would sign up. I would, as soon as you got off the phone with me, I would be on my phone looking up that class and where it is and how I could take it. Because if you want a job and you want to succeed, and you, there's things in your past, there are things in everybody's past that hold them back. So that you have to clear that, and then you can actually start to move on. Now, moving forward, you we talked a little bit about business. You said you bid. Do you bid your own jobs? No, I don't. No, but you no. understand the business side, which. I think actually makes you a better employer or better a better employee because you understand the business side. Is it? Yes. I do. Uh, is it? I mean, do you look at the jobs with your boss and say, you know, we can make better margins if we do this, or we can be more profitable if we do this, or do you let him or her just do it? Here's the the project file, and off you go. I mean, there's always. Uh room for improvement on everything, whether it's labor time, job costing, uh, material costing. So, you know, we have, what we have is in place are, um, they're called trim baskets. So what we get is, you know, a set of, say there's a gas trim, right? Um, there's a two runs of uh, half and three-quarter nipples, uh, close to six, and then a bunch of fittings, 90s, uh, unions, 45s, reducers, the whole thing from half and three-quarters, so that makes up trim basket. There's one of those for uh, gas, electric, a boiler, a steam boiler, um, you know, a uh, furnace, uh, an AC. There's all that already put together, so they already have those. They know that it's this type of job, and these trim baskets go with that job. 
So they already know that, you know, we're not pulling stuff off our truck because that's just a waste of time. And I've done that for terrible. Uh, so the turn basket gets sent out and there's accurate job costing when, you know, you send those back to the shop and they count them up. So what you use, obviously they go on a picture as well. So whatever you use, um, out of the trim basket and, um, they go off the picture, they see what's going on. Um, what I've done is, especially with the combination spoilers, which is a, it does domestic hot water and heating, um, hydronic heating. Um, you know, I've sat in the shop on the computer and said, okay, well, listen, these, these are the materials that we're using on those jobs, because I've done so many, um, these are the materials that we're using, and, but I can find you a better way to do it with less cost and a better product. So I've actually revised those lists and then they can, you know, the, the shop can, can then order those new materials and it'll save, you know, it's, it's a few dollars here and there, but a few dollars here and there on a wide scale, it makes up. Plus you're having, you know, your labor percentage and your whatever else is factored into that job. So a few dollars here and there really makes it. Well, I mean, the reason I bring it up is because I've always liked when a technician understands the business side and tries to make a job a little bit more profitable, even if it's 1% or 2%, because when they understand the business side of it, they also understand the cost of running a business, because everybody thinks, well, I'm going to go to work for myself, and I am going to make, I'm not working for the man, and all the money is going to be mine, and it's that's not true. No. No, it's not. <laughs> so, and there are there there are people you know who I, who I know that own their own company and they're like, dude, this is hard. And I, at most times, you have to manage your time correctly. Um, you have to balance your family life, and you know the phone still rings. I'm like, mm, that's kind of not for me. <laughs> so let's let's switch gears completely. And talk about how we market blue collar. Because I always ask people this on my podcast, which are, you know, are we marketing blue collar correctly? Because we keep hearing over and over and over again that there's a gigantic skills gap. Like my generation, I'll be 57 this year, and my generation is retiring at a great and fast rate. And there's going to be a hole in there in the skills gap. If if Mike Flynn was a recruiter and thinking about your last 12, 13 years in the trade, how would you market blue collar? How would you market plumbing in an HVAC? Because money, telling people where you can make huge money, apparently doesn't work. So how could we have improve the way we market things, especially because, you, hell, you're in your 30s, right? Early 30s? Yeah, maybe 35 in December. 35. So how would we market it to a a 30-year-old man or woman that the trades are the way to go? I think it's better to say, instead of using that money, as in, you know, okay, so, you know, how many, 
how many uh, actual, not trades, but how many work actually market the money that you can make? All of them. Well, I think so all of them really do. Can't use that. <laughs> I think all of them do. I think all of them say if you're an electrician, you can make this amount of money. You know, if you're a air conditioning tech, you can make this amount. If you're a plumber, then this this amount. And yet, with all of that said, we're still not, like, I would think in my head, it would be, like, by now, because I've been recruiting since the late 90s, by now, I should have a flood of applicants, and it should be so lopsided towards tradespeople, but it's not. We're still in an emergency search mode every year. So something we're doing wrong. So what about from you? I mean, obviously the late 50s, 60-year-olds, we're doing something wrong. What can we do right from a 30-year-old perspective? I think it's marketing as uh, something fulfilling. So, you know, the, the feeling that that's when you actually fix something with your hand and you actually bring pretty much joy most of the time to a customer that they're having an issue and you fix that issue. Uh, that's it's fulfilling because, you know, you can do you know, an install and, you know, have their whole system messed up. They've been having trouble for years and you go in there they make everything perfect and they just come down and they say, wow, and that's it probably the greatest feeling and you know you actually made because you've made their home a better place to live in so super fulfilling career is what I can market it as that's an awesome way to market something I mean I love that <laughs> I mean I love that I mean because obviously money we keep sh- we keep throwing huge dollar amounts around and nobody does anything about it where where do you see the future for Mike Flynn? Like what is Mike's Mike Flynn's goal? It can't be just this. Do you have a like if you share with somebody, you know, or with the people listening when they're driving, like what is your goal for the next, you know, twenty, twenty five years? Twenty five years. Okay, how about ten years? I mean <laughs> How about ten years? Um, five years. I mean Five-year plan would probably be to, you know, continue the, the installing um, and focus more on passing the information that I have in my brain down to the people that I work with. And, you know, get also getting the information out everywhere, whether it's, you know, Instagram or YouTube or whatever, any social platform. So, you know, bringing more information out there to what I'm doing as far as an installer and passing it to the people that I work with directly. And then after that, I would say moving into more of a supervisor uh, role as far as, you know, going to, after a job is sold, going to look at that job, um, you know, mapping it out, and ordering material, uh, stuff like that, and really using, you know, my brain power over 
my physical installing power. Uh, that, that would probably be five-year plan. Um, Ten-year plan, I would probably say, uh, after a supervisor position, we're probably moving to, you know, a managerial position. Um, I start maybe run the install department um, or, you know, do some kind of service and split it up. Uh, but, yeah, just moving up in the ranks and, you know, that's more of working on me. So that doesn't happen uh, at the job of a dime if you don't have to work on this. I think it's a great plan. Those were my goals when I was in my yeah. 30s was to be a supervisor and then... You know, I don't know where, and then all of a sudden you're a manager, and and then it's the endless opportunities of blue collar kicks in, and then you find out how much of the trade there there is to learn and to do. I, I think you would be a great teacher because I've watched you teach and and mentor people. I think you've got a knack for it. So we got a couple of minutes left. Is there anything? Is there a a Mike Flynnism that Mike lives by is there a like for me it's do the right thing and risk the consequences. Is there a Mike Flynnism that you could share with people t- to leave them with and go, wow, that guy's got it. I mean, there's a couple things that come to mind. Um, I would say read the manual, and you know, I'm sure if you and we talked about this as well. You got to read that manual. I mean, there's no I've done multiple videos on, you know, what it takes to actually look that up and actually see what's going on inside. And reading the manual is number one because you can call all the people that you want, and, but, you know, if it really doesn't say it in the manual, then you probably shouldn't do it. So reading that manual is key, especially because if you, and I've had it happen before, where you know, you go into a call and you call tech support and they ask you um, how it's like or uh, what's the ductwork size or whatever the information that they want to know, what's the static, but, you know, what size filter do you have, whatever they want to know. And you tell them and it's not right, they're going to be like, okay, correct it, and then call it back. And that's literally what happens. So if you don't read the manual, you're not getting any support from tech support. That's for sure. Uh, number two, and it just went out of my brain. Um, oh, man. It's not anything profound like make sure you get French vanilla coffee with your cinnamon roll at Dunkin' Donuts or anything like that. <laughs> I mean, you know I push the nitro cold brew. But, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> oh, I got it. Okay. Integrity. So integrity is what doing the right thing when no one is watching. And I 1,000% live by that because, you know, most of the time, and it's 90% of the time, the, the people that you do work for uh, have little to no knowledge of what you're doing in their home. And that's a fact. You can educate them all you want. You can get all the technical terms at them and try to break it down into, you know, okay, maybe they'll understand it if I put it in car terms or this way, but most of them don't know what's really going on in their house, in their house. So what it's your job 
as a service provider, eating, air conditioning, plumbing, whatever you do, is to do the right thing in people's homes because that's what they pay for. You're paid to do the right thing up to code no matter what it is. And that, and when no one is watching is basically when no one is knowing what they're looking at. So integrity is absolutely huge. And no matter, you know, you can't say, oh, well, that was like that when I got here. Well, if it is, and that's not part of your job scope, then you need to bring that to the customer's attention and say, hey, listen, I noticed this when I was prepping your boiler or doing your ductwork or installing your furnace, and this is not correct. I just want to bring it to your attention, and maybe I can, you know, educate you on how to correct it or give you the information on how to correct. So integrity is huge for me, um, you know, and it really brings out someone's character when they do have it. I love that. That's awesome. So we're going to end it. I mean, we're at 53 minutes already. Um, wow. Yeah, it goes by. I know. We get, when, Mike, when, when there's two mics on the phone, we get talking. We can't shut up. Um, so, uh, you know, I want to thank Mike Flynn. You can find Mike Flynn at Flintstone1 Flintstone one on Instagram. Um, and you can find him all over the place. He's just he's getting it done in New Jersey. He makes Blue Collar great. And, uh, and to everybody that listens to the podcast, you know, there's so much crazy stuff going on in the world today. We have COVID-19. We have people afraid to go outside. We have people who are sick. Man, if, if you know somebody who's struggling right now, just wrap your arms around them or pick up a phone call and, or stop by their house and say, hey, I'm thinking about you. I know I can't come by because there's, you know, some crazy stuff. But stop by their house and talk to them, you know, six, seven feet away and just say hello and make sure they got food and make sure they got things in, in their house. But just stop by, especially the older folks that are out there that need some love and support. So as always, and please be good humans. Just be super great humans. If you need to get a hold of me at all, you can do so by uh, emailing me at hvacreeferguy at gmail.com. And if you can, please go on Apple uh, iTunes, uh, leave a review, good or bad, and make sure that you uh, you know leave a rating on there because that's important to me. I actually don't make any money on these podcasts. 100% of the money generated off the podcast go to the American Cancer Society in the Hope Lodge of Phoenix, Arizona. So the more people that rate and give a, give a rating on iTunes and the more people that listen, the more money we get to give at the end of the year for uh, the American Cancer Society in the Hope Lodge of Phoenix. So again, work safe, be safe, be great humans, and we'll see you next time.